And we're back with episode five. We've got a whole handful now, Wayne. What do you think about that? Yeah, but this thing, when we get another five, we can put our hands together, give ourselves a clap. No good. Oh, it's, the best, it's the best joke I've got this time of the morning. <laughs> it is very early for Wayne when we do these, so we really appreciate uh, how early he gets up in the morning. Um, we still don't have our final intro music yet from Coach Ian Pope. And he's probably very busy, so we'll wait patiently for that. Um, and so this week we've got uh, our uh, our theme is a need for speed, uh, and uh, it's uh, it's it's good timing because the women's NCAA has just finished. And some examples of that last week: the need for speed or Maggie Maggie McNeil twenty point seven for the fifty yard freestyle. Uh, Gretchen Walsh, 45-6 for the 100-yard freestyle. Um, I mean, it's just incredible. We, going back to when I was a swimmer, these were these were great times for men, uh, and they're certainly just phenomenal. These are incredible athletes, which if you don't watch these races and understand how important that our uh, podcast on underwaters were, then you're missing out on something. And Wayne, I don't know if you had a chance to see these races or not, over there or have seen any replays of it, but it was, it was very, very exciting. It was Glenn. And then, and the thing that jumped out and you and I have spoken about this several times is the precision of the swims. That's the, when you're swimming that fast, when you're swimming under 20 and 45 for the women, there's no, uh, let's, let's build speed over a, a few strokes or, Hey, I can afford to make a mistake off this turn and miss it a little bit. There's no margin for error. I was just blown away with the precision and the the detail, the the coaching detail behind the scenes to get that sort of speed in every element of the race. Great racing as always. I always look for the little details. And the crazy thing was I was watching Maggie McNeil and before she got on the block, she had her Olympic ring on. And I'm thinking, how does she, how does she get her arms going that fast without the ring just flying off to the ceiling somewhere? But it's those individual nature of, of the athletes that they're going to bring their personality into the uh, into the race. And, um, you know, it, it'd be interesting to see if just from a psychological perspective, before she uh, gets up and races, she just looks down and reminds herself who she is, that she is uh, an Olympic champion and uh, nobody should mess with her at this point. Yeah, it's a good uh, good topic for us to have at some stages self-talk and the nature of self-talk and and you know i'm always of two minds is do you tell athletes to think about nothing and just be totally mindful in and present and not be thinking about anything else and not need anything to give them that level of focus or is it better to help an athlete discover what's their trigger what's their focus Mm -hmm. and provide the opportunity for them to stay in contact with it and well, what we're seeing, say, in uh, football, I do a bit of work here with rugby, is players of, of using things like bandages, Glenn. So if they've got a bandaged wrist or a thumb and they're writing messages to themselves, some of them are religious messages or reminding them particular technical things they've got to do or their kids' names. And you'll see them as they're walking around the field, getting ready for the next play, looking at their hand, looking at where the bandage is to remind them of whatever they think they need to be reminded of. So, yeah, good topic for discussion. 
Yeah, that's incredible. It already gets my mind thinking about all kinds of stuff, but we'll go into a, a serious tangent here if we start talking about it. Um, oh, yeah. So you you had sent a document over that I just absolutely loved. And so we kind of are going to base the entire conversation today on your 10 speed laws. Um, and so I know that you've given presentations on this. Uh, so we might as well just go ahead and jump into it. And so um, I'll let you take over first and then I'll give some comments and feedback. But your first law is the faster you want to go, the more relaxed you have to be. Well, this was this is an idea, Glenn, that I got from Carl Lewis, the great track and field uh, athlete. His coach came to Australia to the Australian Institute of Sport and he did a presentation to the track and field coaches and I went along and he, he got up and he talked about athletes and recruiting programs and he said this and he just threw this line out and he said but he said as we all know sprinting's not about going hard it's not about uh it's not about uh, effort and and stress the faster you want to go the more relaxed you have to be and i i, I must have replayed that phrase a hundred times in my mind and thought that that's really true what we're trying to do is effortless speed we're trying to teach athletes to move quickly but without effort that doesn't mean they're not trying but the tension is the enemy in your life in my life in in people's life stress and tension and tightness is the enemy of performance you don't work well when you're under pressure when you're tense and when you're stressed so we're all looking for how do i do what i, I need to do without tension and pressure and stress and we're constantly looking at how do we help ourselves relax and it extends then into the water. So when I talk to coaches about speed, I try to say to them, think of it as a marriage, that when you think speed and give instructions to swimmers about speed, use language like, okay, guys, we're going to get up and do a really fast 50, but nice and easy. Guys, we're going to go PB time. I want this at record pace, but smooth and effortless. Guys, we're going to do a set of 25s. I want them all out. I want maximum speed, but smooth and easy and flowing. So the messages that we're sending to the athletes is that those two concepts are directly related, not distant, as maybe they have seemed. It, it you know, it strikes me as something like martial arts or Tai Chi or, uh, you know, the ultimate speed is this flow that occurs and there's a snap at the end of an action, and it's not the forcing of things. And I think that when we start to get into the understanding of the element of water, uh, one of the illustrations I like to give, especially young kids, when I'll ask them, how, do you, how, do you, how are you going to plan on going faster here? And almost 100% of the times, the answer is, I'm going to pull harder. Well, it's not really the answer, and so I have them demonstrate, if they pull their arm as hard as they can, the water moves out of their way. And the water will always go around and wrap around the arm. It's, it's, it's this subtle nature of, of building up pressure against the water in, in just the right way so that you don't break through it. And so if you are hard, if you are rigid, if you are attacking too much, um, you know, that you will just, the arms just will go through the water or the water will move around the arms. And so when we see the top sprinters, um, you know, with the big windmill and the big arms and how fast the arms are going, we have to understand that they're simply matching 
the speed, their arms are matching the speed that they've set up on the start with the underwater dolphins, with the breakout, with the kick, with the no breathing, with all of these things. It's not just spinning the arms, it's spinning the arms at just the right speed that man t- maintains that momentum that they built off the start. They're not trying to re-accelerate. And I think that's where people uh, mess up is they don't have the balance. They don't have everything put together. And so they are just hammering on the water and the water just gets out of their way. And I mean, gets out of their way during the catch. Yeah, exactly. That, that I think that our understanding of speed has continued to grow and improve because records have to keep breaking. And there's, there's a limit. We can, we can get in the gym and we can just go for power and we can go for size and we can do all those things. But in the end, it's that ability to maintain contact with the water, pressure on the water, and move that efficiently and effectively and faster together that gives you the, the speed consequence that we're looking for. But I, I've never forgotten that that talk by Carl Lewis's coach that, you know, it's it's those two things together that I, I think people say speed. Well, you know, what's fast? Well, a cheetah's fast and a lion's fast and dolphins are fast. Well, they're great concepts, but their whole body – is built to do incredibly fast things. We're not necessarily, we're, we're not built to be in water. We're not built to, to move at high velocity, but we figure it out. And so the finesse of speed for us is got to be, there's a lot more to it than just saying we're going to move our arms as quickly as we can. Absolutely. So this kind of moves us right into the next one, which is there's a big difference between speed and effort. Uh, so you go ahead and lead off. Well, this one came up again just by watching kids. When, when we're little kids and we've got our beautiful mums and dads on the sideline watching us play soccer or watching us play football, watching us swim, they, they'll often say, you've got to try harder. You know, we'll come back and we think we've done okay, but we'll hear words like you've got to try harder or quite often people actually demonstrate, Glenn, with their teeth grit like this, mate, you got to try harder. Come on, you've really... And they. it's almost like, to a lot of people, speed is aggression. Or speed mm. is, you know, if I try harder, I will go faster. And I often say to athletes, it's the opposite. You want to try less, but move quicker. And when coaches are giving instructions about speed, it's the same thing as, Try to remove the word effort or remove things like try harder. Talking to, to, to athletes about speed, how do I remove any concept, any impression of tightness, tension, effort, hard? You know, if you're doing a threshold set and it's incredibly important in your coaching beliefs to get that absolutely right and you're trying to inspire athletes to do things they've never done before when they're right up at that upper edge of training. Well, it might be slightly different in the way you use the language, but ultimately it's still going to be stay relaxed. Come on, guys, we got to get this one out. We need one more 100. Stay long, stay loose, keep it flowing, but fast. Those, those concepts are so important. So this one's about saying to coaches, remove that, 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 element of of kids saying if you try harder and as you say if you pull harder if you do those things you'll go faster 
We want to remove that false belief and say that it's all about speed. I always love to go back to, to the first time I met Gennady Turetsky, and I've spoken about him several times. Is he, he said, speed is the most precious thing in our sport. Our technique work, our dry land, our flexibility, our mental skills work, our everything is about how fast can you go. Therefore, as a coach, we have to be doing everything to ensure we're growing and building that speed. And he's, it's so right, is that even the simplicity of the language we use, the potential impact on that can have on speed. But that line, Glenn, yeah, it is the reason why you and I do what we do, why people come to us for support and ideas, why they go to clinics, why they go to meets, why they go to NCAAs. Speed is the most precious thing in our sport. Everything is based around it. Equipment design, apps, is how do we go faster? And understanding it is critical to be part of this sport. Absolutely. I mean, so many of these things overlap as, as we look down the list. Um, and so I don't want to move too far ahead, but, but I do work with a lot of triathletes. And what I can tell you is they put a tremendous amount of effort into their swimming, but they're not necessarily very fast. And so the, the, the reality of true speed in the water is a culmination of so many different variables, which we're going to talk about. And so when you look at how much effort you're putting in, it's where are you putting the effort? And, and I think what I'll, I'll wait to say what I want to say until the next one, uh, which is technique and speed are inseparable. Um, and so I'll, I'll start with this one. And the idea is that people get very intense about their training. And especially when you talk about speed, the, the intensity, the, uh, um, the attack, the effort, the, you know, all of, all of the things that we just talked about. And for those of you watching, poor Wayne, he's got a bit of a, a cold going on, so he's muted the mic. Uh, and so the um, the idea that you're going to try really hard, well, what are you getting intense about? Can you get intense about your rotation? Can you get intense about your extension? Can you get intense about your head position, your body line and balance? Can you get intense about the positioning of, of where you are? rather than just thinking that the, the only intense thing is how fast I'm moving my arms or how hard I'm kicking. Because if, you, if the other stuff isn't taken care of, then it just doesn't matter. And it was very interesting over the last couple of weeks, I had a young man here who has 1.5 million followers on TikTok. And so he was here for a couple of days. And the first day I had him float on the surface of the water. And of course his feet went right down to the bottom of the pool. So what do we work on first? We work on body line, the ability to get ourselves into a, into a, a proper position that affords you any, you know, the, the opportunity to have potential speed. Uh, but of course, he posted the videos from the first day in which a hundred different people have said, you have to work on your pole. And it was amazing that the initial uh, instinct of everyone is to change your pole and you will go faster. Well, if, if, if the technique of the body line and, and, and all that isn't right, the pole doesn't matter. Go watch, I think it's Rocky Three against uh, when he's training in the, in the Arctic and he's in this pool or whatever and he's swimming a lap of butterfly 
And we all have had a, a thousand 10 year old, you know, kids that could beat Sylvester Stallone in a 25 butterfly. It doesn't matter how strong you are. It, it matters about the form that you're putting into that. So uh, the technique is the ultimate. I, I do think that the sprinters that I've filmed and that I've worked with are some of the most beautiful and most well-balanced athletes because you cannot hide mistakes and reach the ultimate speed. You can't, you can't do it. Water won't let you. Yeah, good call. Let everything that moves fast is efficient. Everything on land, on sea, in the air, everything that moves fast, if you study the way that hawks move, you study the way that that uh, cheetahs and, and predators move, sharks in the ocean, everything that moves fast is incredibly efficiently designed to do that. Now, we don't have the, the design that, that natural-born aquatic creatures have got. We've got to create those efficiencies, which means our movements have got to be as efficient as possible. And, th- and that's why you do what you do and we're constantly playing with technique. You know, I think, again, that the, the obsession with pull, I've, I've still got people who write to me and talk about how their S-pull should be and, and you know, really talking about councilman stuff from the 60s. And, I mean, councilman and, and Maglisha, they made a giants, amazing coaches, had mm-hmm. huge influence. But, you know, we also at the time we thought black and white TV was pretty cool. So there's some elements of the sport that we understand more. And I'm sure that if, if the great minds like Doc were here now, with the access to the technology and underwater video and slow-mo, that he'd be one of the greatest drivers of the the, the overall body alignment and seeing things differently because of just the great minds that those guys had. Um, but for whatever reason, some people get stuck on, it's all about the S-pull that I first learned about in the 1960s. And so when I guys, doesn't matter what your pull's like, unless your alignment is, is right, unless you've got your relaxation and breathing, unless those things are in place first. Absolutely. All right, we'll move on. Train speed fast. Train speed fast. Not at the end of an endurance workout. Go ahead, Wayne. Well, look, this is uh, this is one I, I love to talk about because I think in general, not everybody, and I know there's a lot of coaches listening who are very innovative and creative and are trying all sorts of different ideas. But what I see is what I call the stock standard swimming workout around the world because it's it's been the one that's been most popularly pop well you know most popular i'll say that word uh taught by the australian swimming coaches and teachers association by asker in the us the stock standard format for a workout is warm-up drills and skills some sort of kicking pull combination main set and then quite often speed towards the end and then a cool down that's what i call the stock standard age group workout Anywhere in the world I go, they're using something like that. They might have a little bit of speed work, a little bit earlier here and there. What I'm saying to coaches, if you believe that speed is precious and speed is so important, it's the main part, it's the focus point of the set, the the workout. It's not something you throw in at the end 
It's not something you throw a little bit at the end just to make sure you're doing something. And we'll talk about some sets specific to that a little bit later from Olympic gold medal winning coach that if you've made the decision today, we're going to develop speed. I'm going to go and do some things in the water. If that set is 800 metres long, then that's the main set for the day. If the, the focus of developing speed for that day is real speed so that everything you do before and everything you did after was about ensuring that that speed set was done brilliantly, perfectly, maximum speed, and the athlete had every possible opportunity to develop top-end speed, then that's the set. It's. It, I think I see what I see a lot in coaches, Glenn, is they go, right, we're going to do our speed work today, and we're going to do 825 walkbacks. So we're going to do uh, 820s maximum speed with an easy 30 recovery, and then we're going to do 4100s on 130. Now, when you talk to physiologists, they'll say, hang on a minute. So you've really stimulated the nervous system. You've stimulated some real anaerobic stuff to to generate, you know, get your body going, okay, I got it, I got it. I'm trying to develop these qualities to go fast. And then you're beating them to death for the next hour, charging them up and down the pool. The argument that I would say is, well, sure, there's plenty of time to do the hard work. But if your goal is speed, Everything's about speed. And there's there's no there's no problem with sometimes having very short workouts based on the development of real speed. We're gonna break this mentality that's it's just something else I throw in the workout to fill it out. Well, it's the same way people think about technique in that, you know, what we talked about last week, in that uh, somewhere in the workout there's gonna be a drill section. And as long as we do the drills, then that's going to be enough. That's the technique work that they get done. Um, you know, it, it was very funny reading this uh, because I had flashbacks to when I trained where we'd go, we'd finish practice with eight 25s from a dive on the 30, all out. That was our speed work. So you had to finish, climb out, get on the blocks and dive back in on the 30. Uh, but of course, this was after about nine or 10,000 meters, um, you know, so we were ready to go fast. Um, so it's, you know, I think this goes back to the whole thing that we have to get away from counting yards and worrying about counting yards, but being very specific in how we, how we train somebody. Um, uh, so speed on speed days, and, and we're getting into it because the next one, strangely enough, as Wayne put the list together, ties right in together with this, which is 100% is speed. Less than 100% isn't. And this is where I go back to working with Roland Schumann and uh, Bruno Fratis and Jason Lezak. And I remember the, the Lezak video in that there was a whole chapter on speed. Well, that was shot over three days because we would shoot all the drill things. And we'd only be able to do the speed part maybe once every hour, you know, because he just he couldn't do it. Couldn't do more than that. And Roland was a lot the same way. It's like when these guys are going top speed, they're going top speed. And they can't do that, you know, 20 times a day. They, they, you know, they, to me, they are the lions of the sport. And I don't know if I said this last week, but I always consider this, that they go out, they see their food, they hunt it, they kill it, and then they go to sleep for 23 and a half hours. And I mean, there's only so much effort that can go into it. But, but sometimes if you're not giving that 100%, you don't know what your true speed is. And that's where the buy-in 
Um, this was really when USRPT got started. Rachel and I were on our trip and uh, we were asked by a young swimmer in front of the whole team. There are about 40 kids in the room. And he said, if USRPT is proven, scientifically proven to allow you to go faster, why doesn't everybody train like that? And I said, and the coach, you could tell as soon as this kid said that, the coach just rolled his eyes. And I said, well, here's the argument from a, a real life perspective. When, in order for USRPT to work, your coach has, you have to buy in that you are giving 100% when you're supposed to give 100%. If someone out of the 40 swimmers here does not give 100% the entire time, or if the majority of you aren't truly giving 100%, it's probably not going to be as effective as you want it to be. USRPT is not an easier way to swim fast. It's a more focused way to swim fast. Everybody's looking for the shortcut. Swimming fewer yards is not the shortcut as long as the intensity is there. Um, if That's what everybody always asks me. Is it easier for swimmers today because they're not doing the you know 20,000 a day? Absolutely not. The workouts they do today would crush me. You know, because the intensity is so high. If you want to be great, whatever your era is, you better be ready for some pain and focus. No, I mean, I, I can't agree more, Glenn. I, the most common question I get is people will say, we've heard that the Australian sprint girls, and you know, with the Campbell girls and Emma, that we've had some good results. And they'll say, oh, we've heard that they don't do a lot of workout in the pool. And I'll say, in, in, in truth, some of them are not doing as much work in the pool in traditional formats, but I've never seen athletes train harder. That's there's a complete myth right. going on that either oh, the, the we've found a shortcut and nobody's sharing. It's absolute rubbish that if what I'm seeing is the trend, certainly in speed development training, which is a, a great topic that the sprinters, they may have cut down the distance in the pool a little, and I'm not talking 70%. If, if there would seem to be an overall trend, tw reduction 25-30% of less old-style, non-specific high-volume work, but the precision of the work. The mm -hmm. workouts are taking longer. There's more workouts because of the precision that's required. The deliberate and purposeful nature of strength and conditioning so that it marries in well with the pool work. Uh, the integration of HIIT training, spin classes, running, CrossFit, rock climbing, flex. I mean, I have yeah. never seen a generation of athletes train harder than this current generation of sprinters. So, yeah, by all means, if people go, well, let's just drop a couple of workouts and the kids will go faster you're going down the wrong path, guys. We're, if anything, the demands of training time on sprinters now is greater than it's ever been because of the precision and the deliberate nature of it. I mean, look, I'm old. I've been around this for a long time, okay? And so when, when the NCAA switched to a, a mandatory or a, a maximum allowable number of hours, 20 hours a week in training, I thought, well, nobody's going to go any faster. Um, yeah, they did. And then COVID hit and people weren't allowed to train. So all kinds of new techniques came up with how are we going to keep our swimmers going fast? And they're going faster. 
And so, you know, it's, it's the intensity, it's the, it's the special uh, specialization of, um, of these athletes that, um, it's, it's pretty incredible. So, all right, the next one, underwater kicking is vital. Goodness gracious. We did an entire, um, an entire podcast on underwater kicking. And if you're not watching the, uh, you know, the NCAAs and, and, you know, kind of what's, what's happening right now, um, you can't go fast in, in my opinion, it's very, very hard to go fast in the future without being a master of underwater kicking. And we did, we covered this off on a show, but the, the, the NCAAs and it just stresses that, you know, the, the, the basic idea of saying, well, sure, it's a good idea and everybody should do four big kicks underwater. We're so far past those just broad. Yes, it's a good idea. It's, I got to train it. We got to train it fast. We got to train it under time. We got to test it at meets. It, it's as important as how do I swim butterfly or how do I do a backstroke turn? It's integral to everything. And you know, it, it, you talk a lot about the the effect that the water has, and it, it it it's so right that from the moment they dive in, the water's doing everything it can to slow you down. That's the nature of the beast. And if I hit the water in a great streamline and that, that's fantastic, but the water doesn't care about what you want in terms of streamline. It's, it's going to slow you down. It's going to grab on, pull you back, put pressure on right around your body. That's what it does. And then it's how intelligently, how efficiently I can move against those forces or with those forces to maintain momentum. And, you know, how many times have you said to a young athlete, look, the fastest you'll ever be is those first five, 10 metres off a wall. So by learning to maximise that momentum that you've gained from the walls, it's launching you into what could be a, a fantastic lap. Going the other way, if I don't do it, as soon as I get in, I'm letting the water win. I'm letting the water pull me back, slow me down, adhere to me a little bit too much, and it becomes too hard, too much effort involved, and then I start to fight the water and I get tired. It's a great line I like. You talked about triathletes before, and as you know, I was tied up with elite triathlon for a while. That a great line in the triathletes use, which is, "You can't win a triathlon in the swim, but you can lose it." Mm. Meaning that if you're fighting the water, and if it's a battle to get out of the water, Connor, and you're you're exhausted because you're so inefficient, your body line is not right, you've had to put so much hard work into it doesn't matter how good you are on a bike you're already excessively fatigued before you can start to get into your cycling rhythm and of course 9 10 11 12 13 hours down the line when you're running all that accumulative fatigue starts to bite you badly and even for for those wonderful ironman ultra athletes that are doing what they do these efficiency measures in the water accumulate and allow them to do what they they do. So everything we do is about efficiency. I call it swimming at scale. And I talk to all my triathletes about giving me a half inch to one inch on each stroke over the course of a year. Maybe maybe looking for two out of some, but then you multiply that for two and a half miles or for you know one point one point two or then seven hundred and fifty. You know, it all it all depends on what the length is, but it's still it's a lot of strokes. And if you can get just a little bit more out of each one, uh, then you're doing a good job. 
Um, we get into the next one. This is so important. Long rest, short duration. Again, taking into consideration everything that you've put on this list up to this point, especially 100% is speed. And so when there's long rest, you're allowing your body to recover. You're allowing your mind to recover. You're going to plan and whatever you need to do. Um, you know, what went right on the last one? What am I going to do on this next one? It's as much of a mental game as it is a physical game in resting as long as the athlete is engaged. You can't just look at the, the long rest as an opportunity to rest and try hard again. You have to think of that as, okay, what went right on that last one? What went wrong? And what am I going to fix on the next one? Yeah, great. Good call. That's the, and I, I think that the the importance, Glenn, of, of understanding how those two things work together, long rest, that I think coaches um, are stuck on heart rate, for example, are really stuck on, I don't want to give the kids too much rest because their heart rates will drop or too long a rest brings laziness. But as you said with Lazak, I mean, as I used to watch with Popov, I used to watch Popov do 50s on six minutes and and because anything less than 100% speed wasn't speed development. You can't do 2050s on one minute and call it speed training. That if you, if I want to have, uh, what's a great line? Bill Sweetenham uses all the time. I love it. He says, Formula One cars do not come off a production line. And when you're talking about real thoroughbred athletes, you know, our great sprinters, just doing more for the sake of doing more isn't the key. And saying, well, 115, 130, gee, that's given the kids a lot of rest. No, it's not. If you've done some basic physiology to get the replenishment of glycogen to allow their nervous system to replenish a little bit and be ready to go again. And as you say, that that coachable moment to talk about, okay, relax. Do you feel flow? To get them to reflect on it. There's so many things that you can do in that minute, minute and a half, two minutes, whatever it takes. Because it's not getting the repeats done. It's getting them done perfectly. That's the key. And if it takes two minutes, three minutes, four minutes on rest, and you're in a speed development day and a speed development workout, then that's what it takes. It takes what it takes. Uh, I, I, that's what I see when coaches will say, well, we've got speed work on. We're doing 10, 25s on one. So, guys, they're not going to, you know, you're talking before about, you know, we've got, women getting at 20 seconds for 50, where they've got to be looking at now thinking in, in 25 yards in training, they're looking at nine-second repeats. You know, nine-second, mm -hmm. you, you're not going to be able to hit nine seconds with all that's that's inherent in that with skill and underwater and timing and kicking. You can't ask someone to do that every 30 seconds or every minute or every two minutes. That level of precision and exactness isn't something that you can say, I want 50 of those in the next, that you're going to do those in fours and sixes, maybe eights, really long rest, and insist, insist on absolute excellence on every repeat. Long rest, don't be afraid, coaches. Don't be afraid to give them two, three minutes between short repeats because the name of the game is excellence. The name of the game is how fast can we go, not how many can we do? Absolutely. So the next one, I'm going to put up, uh, see if this works. This is one of my favorite quotes that I use when I'm teaching someone. 
and talking about one stroke at a time and, and the body line. And that is, uh, I fear not the man who has practiced 10,000 kicks once, but I fear the man who has practiced one kick 10,000 times. Bruce Lee, the greatest swim teacher ever. Um, but I just, I, I love that because it, it shows that it has not, this is no secret. This has been around for a long time. When you talk about precision and you talk about exactness and everything that we need, to, that we know we need to go fast, then, you know, you look to someone like Bruce Lee and, okay, he was teaching this, what, 50 years ago now? Yeah, it's, it's hard to believe it's that long before we watched Enter the Dragon. I couldn't think anybody could move that fast. And yeah. we all thought that he must be using some sort of speed film or doing something to fast it up. And, and then when you saw him in demonstrations and looked at the amount of detail that he had in his movement, but you're exactly right, is, is you know, you've you've got to, as a coach, you've got to be a bit of a futurist. And, you know, I'm, sometimes coaches will say, I'm sure you get this question is, Glenn, with everyone going so fast, how long before we see a 19-second NCAA women's 50? Uh, hard questions to answer. The answer is we'll see it at some stage. There's going to have to be an inevitable block. Like you're not going to see someone do two seconds for a 50. But there's probably still space. We're going to see a man break 45 long course, 100, probably in our lifetime, hopefully. All those, how will you do that? If you think you're going to do it just by doing more non-specific hard training up and down a pool, you're delirious. The, we're in the era of precision and we're in the era of, of more efficiency and technique. We're in the era of every little thing matters because we, you, we just, we're not going to go that quick just by doing more volume. We're not going to do it by doing more threshold. We're not going to do it by being more aerobically fit. All those things have got a place. We're going to do it by having, you know, technique that's resistant to fatigue. We're going to be deliberate with every little movement. And that's, you know, I, I, I know I use that word a lot, but when I talk to our best sprint coaches about what's the difference be between when they were working back in the 80s, 90s and 2000s to now, and they say it's way more deliberate. There is no... 10 400s on 630 written on the board and everybody just does it. It's very purposeful, very specific integration of technique in everything we do. That's that's to get to this point that we're going. And, you know, I, I, you know, for the coaches who are thinking about the 2032 Olympics, you know, you've got to be figuring this stuff out, guys, because we're, we're 10 years off. If you've mm -hmm. got, a, you got a good young athlete, you, you – you got to be thinking 2032 Olympics, which are in Australia. You got to be thinking 45, high 45, 46 is in all probability going to be around about then. So you've got a young athlete now. This is your. This is what you're about. Is how am I go? I've got 10 years to figure out a 45 second athlete. That means someone what's splitting 21.5 in in a 50 and then back ending it in a 23. Wow. So for the coaches who are in this for the long haul, how are you going to achieve that? Well, you're not going to achieve it 
just by adding three extra workouts and doing a lot more threshold training. It's it's mm -hmm. the era of exactness. Absolutely. You have to think, I mean, always think 10 years ahead when you're working with young kids. Um, I always feel bad when I say it, but when I get a 10-year-old that comes in here and tells me how fast he is, uh, in the nicest way possible, I try to get the point across that I don't care. I'm not worried about how fast you are at 10. And I've got some kids here that are 10, and, and they're great kids, but I want them to be fast at 16, 17 years old. And I know that it's going to be the shape of the stroke, not how hard they can pull. Um, so I, lo I love the next one. Uh, I love this the first time you said it. Teach, train, test, then repeat. And that's kind of like what we talked about with the long rest, short duration, um, you know, in that you're having the opportunity to test and train and, and teach. There's enough time in between some of these things that you can make adjustments or make changes uh, or try something different. Yeah, and I look, this is really where coaches I often get asked about the use of sports science in coaching. And I'll say to coaches, you don't have to be a scientist to, to think scientifically. This is, this is, if you like, this is a form of scientific method. I, I come up with an idea, an hypothesis. I teach it. We, we repeat it. We, we, we test it a little bit. We trial it. We evaluate it, we get some feedback and we go back and we do it again. And it's it's applying a type of methodical, systematic thinking process on how do we go faster. And, you know, that line we used a few weeks ago, which is how do I know if it's faster? Well, it's faster if it's faster. We, we don't mm -hmm. know. I, you and I can't say, we've, we can have an idea, but we can't say to every swimmer in the world, if you do... 10 really fast, small dolphin kicks in four seconds off every wall, you'll improve by two seconds. We don't know that because there's so many other variables. In the end, it's concepts and principles that a coach will go, you know, that, 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 that wonderful word that a friend of mine in New Zealand, Graham, uses all the time. He said, the essence of coaching is inquisitiveness, that mm. you, you're, you're walking up and down the pool, Glenn, and you're going, you know, what if he came up at 10 metres and did that? Think about it a bit more. Pull him over to the side. Hey, I've got an idea for you. What do you think if, hey, coach, that sounds like a good idea. So he kicked the idea around. Okay, well, what about our next set of 50s? Why don't you give that a try? Let's have a look. Let's have a think. That starts to come along. So, look, we're going to a meet in two weeks. Let's try it in the prelims of the 150 and let's see how it works. Take a video, sit down with the athlete. What do you think? Yeah, good. That's how it works. There is no miracle. If you do this, I guarantee you'll go faster. This is our learning process. The beautiful thing is though, it ends up coming up with a, a, a partnership with a, a joint learning feel where the athlete and the coach have figured it out on what's going to work for them. And But this teach it, train it, test it under a bit of pressure, emotional pressure, those seven skills we talked about last week, seven skill steps, and just do it again and we just keep looking for those little, you know, those fractions that you talked about with your triathletes, constantly looking for fractions of improvement every week. Absolutely. I have a, a set on my iPad of uh, or a series of 10 different videos that I took at the pool the other day. 
working with a young athlete on uh, rate breakout points and different experiments uh, for some 50s breasts that we were doing. And so in the app, I can see all the data in there and try to determine you know, what it's like watching a Formula One race. It really is. It's like which sector. And if you put the fastest three sectors of each, you know, what's the potential speed for this uh, for this track? Um, so great race yesterday. I'm a big Alonzo fan. So it was a lot of fun to watch that. Uh, but anyway, so on to the next one. Um, and I do see my feed for some reason is a little on and off. So, uh, audio, this should be good. So it's about speed, not the length of the repeat. And so it, it, that to me speaks to, um, how, how far can you go at the speed you want to be at? Uh, not, uh, you know, we're going to go fifties, even though you're breaking down at the 20, um, you know, so What's your take on that, or what was your meaning behind this one? Yeah, look, I I think the 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 uh, it's easy to look at things like laps and look at the length of the repeats. So this came about, Glenn, when I was talking with one of our great old coaches a long time ago, and I asked him, I said, "What's your favourite speed workout?" And he said, "I always do fifties for speed." And he said, three nights a week at the end of practice, we do 2050s, maximum speed, jump out and walk back. And he said, because, you know, that 50 meter speed is really critical. And I mean, the guy, his coaching record, outstanding, had some wonderful, certainly had some wonderful distance athletes and some breaststrokers. But when you looked and you timed what was going on, some of them were three seconds off their best 50 time at the end. But it was his perception that because they were swimming 50s, he was developing speed. I've been to other programs where I've seen them do blocks of 20-25s, really short rest, and I'll say, well, this is a really good speed set because they're only doing 25-metre repeats. Well, no, it's about speed. Speed is speed. And it's um, you can be overly obsessed with that on the same token – you can have a speed development repeat that can be 100, providing it's only a relatively short distance where you're going at maximum speed and then the rest is easy, flowing, mm. relaxed recovery to the 100. So you might explode 15, relax 50, 60 metres, explode the last 10 to the finish. That's a type of way you can use a little bit of a longer repeat distance and still achieve some of your objectives. But to try and break that mindset that if they're swimming 50s, it's speed. They're swimming 25s, it's speed. Speed is speed. Speed is only when they're going at maximum speed. Absolutely. And a 50-meter swim is a very long swim for the majority of people. And I think that's what, uh, you know, it's, it's nice to see someone go at 21 for a 53, but chances are in the middle of practice with an age group team, uh, you're closer to 30 seconds, uh, if not more than that, and that's a long that's a long duration of all out uh, all out uh, power. Um, so there are a couple sets in here that uh, that you had put in. So six to eight 30 meter dive sprints on two and a half to three minutes. So when you look at the work to rest ratio of this, there's a ton of rest. I mean, this is probably uh, a one to seven or a one to six ratio of work to rest. It's a lot of rest, but a lot of intensity. 
And this came from Shannon Rollinson, one of my good friends here in Australia, Coach Jody Henry, and has coached a lot of great sprinters. Now, I like Shannon because he's a thinker and he's an innovator. I mean, Shannon, he, he's one of the – he said, Wayne, the reality is we're going to have to figure out how to get world-class performances from athletes for one workout a day. Um, I said, how do you figure that? He said, whether we like it or not, the world is moving that direction. So yeah. we either sit around and complain about it or we become more innovative, more creative, more purposeful in our workout. So the time we get with them is of, of great benefit. And we still do a lot of training around it. But he said, I, so he's the sort of guy that he's looking and he's always looking for an edge. Shannon's, we were talking about just doing speed development work a few weeks ago. And I said, do you mind if I share this? Because what he's got on the board, and this this will cause hopefully a bit of controversy for listeners, is he said, if you put that in a workout, that's the main set. Now, a lot of coaches would be horrified because they're looking there. So, well, hang on a minute. Um, where's the where's the eight three hundreds? Where's the the long medley work? Shannon's argument is if the aim of the game of this particular workout is to develop speed, everything leading up to that set, six to eight times thirty dive sprints on two thirty to three. Everything leading up to that, and everything that follows from that is to ensure that that set is done perfectly well and that we we hit all the speed markers we're looking for. The next morning, by all means, come in and do your aerobic work and your flow work, your recovery work and medleys and switches and pulls, the whole bit. But the warm-up, the skill work, the preparation of this particular workout is to get to that set totally ready, focused mentally, physically, technically to be be absolutely primed in every element so that this can all be done at maximum speed no compromises no no shortcuts it's to be done with exactness and precision and then easy relaxed flowing swimming afterwards to allow the body to to take it all in and start to regenerate and start to get the benefits of doing that sort of work and I know it's hard for some coaches maybe to look at that, but I can promise you in some of the best sprint workouts that I see, I see things like this. You know, the old old days I talk about, Glenn, is it used to be, you know, average age group programs. Can we do three Ks, three kilometers an hour? So I know we're miles and uh, yards and, and uh, meters, but average age group program, it used to be about how much can we get done? Three Ks in, per hour. Six Ks in a two-hour workout, two workouts a day. Uh, kids going to nationals, roughly four Ks an hour, eight Ks in a two-hour session, do it twice a day, 16 K, 10 miles a day. That that was the overwhelming training model for so many parts of the world is how much distance can we get done in the shortest possible time to work harder than anyone else. I'm seeing coaches do things like this and maybe have a, a 2K workout on that particular workout morning. Come back in the afternoon, the next morning, and, of course, doing some more traditional types of loading. But when it's speed, it's speed. 
Yep, absolutely. Which goes into the next one, which is eight to 12, 25 diver push uh, on two minutes. So again, very, very fast, a lot of rest and uh, a lot of intensity. And the, the aim of the game here too with coaches is, is they coaches need to set their standards for speed on what's acceptable. So if we were working with elite athletes and you said all of these have to be 10 seconds, this is the, the coach goes, well, we get to the third one and no one's holding 10 or we're not achieving our target times. By all means, give them more rest. Mm. The, the, that, that endurance block mindset that we've all had for so long, which is if they're not achieving the times, let's yell at them more. If they're not achieving the times, let's force them to do it again. Those days are gone that this is about precision, exactness, deliberate coaching where we're saying, all right, the aim of the, the speed is the core. The speed is, is the, the, the one non-variable. It's the constant. So if we've made a commitment in this speed development workout that they're going to hit 10 seconds or 12 or 14, depends on who you're working with, and they can't get it, and speed was the goal, you've got to give them more rest. That's... That's fundamental to it because when if we're going to get serious about speed, speed is speed. Less than speed is not speed. Absolutely. I think, you know, it's it really is what we've always tried to do is make sure that you're practicing something specific that you want to do when you get into a race. Um, and anything short of that is not really practicing. That's, that's when you're working on your technique work and um, – so some of the common problems that people like or that take them away from training for speeds is that they simply do too many repeats. Again, they're locked into how many, how, how far are we going uh, rather than, um, you know, I kind of like to think of it as a marksmanship uh, uh, competition. If you watch uh, Olympic biathlon and uh, any of the shooting or, or arrow archery competitions, it's not how many arrows you shoot. It's not how many bullets you shoot or, you know, BBs, whatever they shoot. It's how many times have you hit the target? Um, and so that's really what it is by the end of the day is how many times did you hit your mark in your speed? Not uh, how, you know, or did you hit it enough? Um, I don't want to get people into the record of, oh, we hit our, we hit our speed a hundred times today in this practice. Well, that's probably the wrong speed. That's not the speed that you want. But um What's your take on too many repeats? Yeah, I think so. That's the temptation of our – I often say to coaches, one of the biggest challenges in our sport is volume. That's overly chasing volume and distance and the volume of our voice and that we think we can achieve all things by doing more laps and yelling louder. In, in effect, when we're talking speed, again, it's the opposite, that, that you know, it's okay – and if a swimmer, if you've said, uh, we're going to do a set of 25s, maximum speed, good technique, good breakouts, all those things, and we need to hit 12, uh, 12 seconds, that if they do it, it's okay to walk away and say, great job, that's it. I think a lot of coaches will go, well, we aim for six, they're hitting six. I wonder if they could do another five repeats, another 12 repeats. Mm. Well, mm. and again, this... This idea, and, and you know, again, credit to Shannon Rollinson for this, saying, 
you know, don't forget that that period after the speed development training is to give the body a chance to adapt, the nervous mm. system a chance to adapt. And yeah. you, you've, you've spent, you've, you've set the workout up beautifully. They've done the job. And then what are you going to dehydrate them, deplete glycogen, smash their, their nervous system even further, and then wonder why the speed development training didn't work. We didn't give it a chance to really, didn't give the athlete a chance to really adapt. So that, that to me seems too many repeats that, that you know, six is enough. Uh, four is probably enough. It, it doesn't have to be tens and twenties. You don't have to be counting even, even numbers. Five can be enough. Seven can be enough. It's enough when it's enough. If they're no longer able to maintain, and this is a little bit USRPT, if you like, and it's a discussion we could have on a another day, but if they can't maintain the speed target for the day, doing more repeats and accepting less than an optimal outcome is not really helping them achieve that high level of precision. Absolutely. Which ties right into not enough rest, which is basically allowing the time in between these to, to, uh, you know, discuss, analyze, and let the body recover. But it's not, again, it's just not about the body. It's also about the uh, the mind, the thought process, and then the, the planning of what you're going to do next. Yeah, I think coaches are going to get comfortable with rest, Glenn. That's the – that just because the kids are at the end of the pool maybe talking and laughing, that's what you're seeing above the surface. What's happening below the surface? Well, you know, skeletal muscles starting to replenish stores – nervous system starting to recover from the smashing that it's just got heart rate starting to calm down breathing starting to come back under control they might be laughing on the surface i know that makes coaches a bit nervous sometimes think well hey these guys aren't exhausted therefore they're not working that's not the point the point is that what's going on in that two minutes three minutes at the end of the pool is the body's going yeah okay great i've done that and i'm going to recover if you give me the chance I'll recover and I can give you another one. So coaches, don't be afraid of giving them plenty of rest when you're doing this. Absolutely. And then the other one is accepting less than 100% speed. You know, if they're not going fast enough, as Wayne said earlier, give them more rest. Uh, maybe it's just one of those days they're not prepared for it. Uh, be willing to, if you're not getting 100% speed, be willing to change the set, do something different. Yeah, I think there too, Glenn. Even, you know, again, talking to the, the best sprint coaches that I get to talk to is being, but just being intelligent with your workouts that if in the afternoon workout you're going to be doing speed development, what did you do the rest of the day? So if you did, uh, you did seven miles of hard endurance work in the morning, then the kids went to school, then they did an hour dry land, so they're tired, they're dehydrated, probably still glycogen depleted, nervous systems are flat, coming in tired. That's not the afternoon to do doing speed development work because they're already broken and fatigued. Having said that, sure, there are times when you're going to insist on skills, good technique and speed at the end of training because you're doing what we call tough training, TUE, technique under fatigue. There's times when that's going to be important. But if the aim of the game is to create new speed, new capabilities for speed to get them going faster, 
be aware. What did you do leading? And that comment you made before about Lazak was a great uh, example. There was a, a track and field sprinter from England called Linford Christie under a little yep. bit of a, a steroid cloud. I, I'm first to admit that. But he was asked at a, a, at a, a, a clinic here. They said, how many times do you train each week? It was very clever. He said two or three times a week. And the follow-up question was, how can you be the best in the world only doing two or three sessions a week? He said, no, I do about 30 sessions, but I can only train three times a week. Everything I do is preparing for or recovering from those three sessions when I'm absolutely flat out. And, you know, again, you and I have been exposed to some brilliant thinkers inside this sport and outside that sport. This, again, this is what I say to coaches. If the aim is, you know, these, these are Ferraris. These are highly uh, well-tuned machines. You've got to be more aware than just getting them to come in, expecting them to go fast when they've already done that hour of dry land, a day of school, and seven miles up and down the pool in the morning. Well, back to Formula One. Uh... Ferraris probably isn't the best example this year, ah. but but I get it. I'm a big Ferrari fan, so a little frustrated. Uh, and then finally, we have already talked about this: is doing the speed development training at the wrong time. Um, you know, put it, make it the if it's the theme of the workout, make it the theme of the workout. Don't wait until the end and then try to add a few fast twenty fives and things you think you actually worked on speed. So, Wayne, yeah, I, I, again. It, it, it just seems to be so so simple in concept but incredibly hard for coaches to do because for so long we've all been talking to coaches about volume and coaches I know are, are very focused on making sure the athletes are fit and they've done it. I completely get it. And this is a very confronting way of looking at speed for so many coaches who have, have done very, very well by doing those high volume type programs. And I'm not saying to coaches to, that it's going to be easy that, but I can only say that, you know, with, with who you and I talk to and who you and I work with in the last year, I've spoken to the national sprint champions, the coaches of national sprint champions in Australia, New Zealand, United States, Canada, England, Ireland, South Africa, Germany, France, and they're all telling me the same stuff that no. their training has become focused, deliberate, purposeful, exact, uh, unconditional when it comes to speed. They're quite comfortable varying the amount of volume they're doing and they're working harder than ever, but not necessarily harder in terms of just pool volume. It's taking more time to get the level of precision that they're looking for now. There is no, let's just get it all done and hope that it works. It's um, a friend of mine says that wishing, hoping and praying are not great strategies for swimming success. And (laughs) because everyone in every lane is wishing, hoping and praying deliberate Mm -hmm. and purposeful training is what gives you swimming success. Absolutely. Well, um, we did get some feedback. Uh, a lot of people are listening to this rather than seeing it, which is which is fine. So I'm going to skip the technique time uh, because it was very visual. 
Um, and, uh, you know, but it was, it was fun. Um, but, and next week, uh, for, for our next podcast, we're looking, we don't want to say what it's about just yet because, um, we're looking at getting our first guest on. And if we can't work out the time, then we'll switch topics. Um, but rest assured that we are working on the next one. And, um, um, Wayne, anything in closing today? Oh, no, just uh, look, thanking you to people who are listening and providing feedback. We certainly feel the feedback I'm getting is there is a need for people talking specifically on technique. And I did remind Ian Pope at 5 a.m. this morning that he needs to uh, finish up our, our uh, intro. And I know he will because he's a, a great man of high integrity. But he said to me, he said, I listened to a few of the episodes he said, it's just so great to have a couple of people talking technique. He said, just that's been the whole, that he said, there's some great podcasts. As you know, there's some wonderful work going on right through our sport with podcasting on coaching and, and uh, some of the fan stuff. There's some great stuff going on. But what we're excited about is, is just to give coaches the opportunity to learn on, on and, and to share some ideas on the technical elements of our sport, which are so critically important. So thank you for listening. It's going to be a lot more fun stuff. I know that Glenn and I have a a great time doing it every week. Sounds good. Have a great week, everybody. Bye for now. Yeah.